to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to emergency management, business continuity, disaster planning, resilience, and anything that's relatable to those subjects. Speaking of subjects, if there is something you'd like us to talk about or you'd like to come on the show and be a guest to talk about a specific topic, please feel free. Go to the show's homepage on the Voice America site. There is a button underneath the graphic that says something to the effect of send host uh, a note or email. And uh, I do get all emails and I do respond to everything. And we'll see about getting you or finding someone else to come on the show to talk about what you want us to uh, touch on. Also, if you want to advertise or promote a product or service, please feel free. Reach out the same way and we can get some information to you as well. I will be speaking at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto. Uh, I believe the dates are October 7th and 8th. I've been there the last couple of years, had some uh, very interesting uh, speakers and guests there. And uh, I'm also going to be speaking at BCI World in Birmingham, UK, and I believe the dates are November 5th and 6th. I'm looking forward to that one because, as some of you may know, I'm actually from England, and uh, I have family who live just south of Birmingham, so I'm really looking forward to that one. Fingers crossed that uh, you know, we're able to travel by then. And I want to thank everyone at Stone Road with their product, Boast Assessment, uh, which you can see at boastassessment.com. That allows you to do some self-maintenance and management of your program, uh, let you know where you need to focus some of your resources, how you're doing on testing, and what uh, areas you need to uh, bring up some scores. So it helps you maintain uh, your, your own program status and monitoring. And you can check them out at boastassessment.com. Now, as many people know, I love to read. And I read a lot, magazines, books, you know, news articles. And the latest edition of the DRJ magazine, Disaster Recovery Journal, the spring 2020 edition, uh, there was I found an interesting article that I thought, oh, this might make a, for a really good topic on the show. So I reached out to the author, and uh, luckily um, for, for me and for all of us, he said yes, he'd love to participate. The article is entitled, in, I hope I'm saying this right, Integrating OSINT, or OSINT, as I'm kind of calling it, uh, integrating OSINT into the emergency management cycle. And I'd like to welcome to the show the author, Dan Davidov. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Alex. Uh, really appreciate it and uh, happy to be here and uh, talk about OSINT. And you said it correctly. <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't sure if we if I was supposed to say the letter separately or just kind of the way I read it. OSINT kind of made sense to me. So I knew you'd correct me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, OSINT is just, uh, it's one of many INTs. So the, the, <laughs> the intelligence community has all these acronyms, right? It has 
uh, HuMint for human intelligence, OSINT for open source intelligence, SIGINT uh, uh, for signals intelligence. So, uh, you know, anyone who's been part of that world is, is pretty used to, to those acronyms. Well, we're going to talk about OSINT, but before we jump into that, could you kind of give our listeners a little bit of uh, a background on yourself, what you do, and how you got to where you are, and how you got into this industry? Sure, sure yeah. So, um, um, I work currently as a Associate Director of Intelligence for At-Risk uh, International. Um, uh, that means that I lead all intelligence-related um, uh, research and consulting and analytical efforts for the company. Uh, At Risk International is a, a global security consultancy. Uh, so we we do work in the area of, uh, of protection, physical protection of people, assets, uh, information, facilities. Uh, we do investigations. We do training and consulting. Um, uh, prior to that, I worked at a uh, geopolitical risk consultancy called Eurasia Group, where I did uh, where I w- did intelligence in uh, uh, looking at corporate risk and political risk around the world. And I also did some work uh, as a contractor um, with the government. Uh, and that that covers you know most of the last uh, decade or so. And uh, originally, I. Uh, have a degree in international relations. So that kind of took me uh, down that path. Oh, well, that's really an interesting one. I hadn't heard uh, anyone that uh, had a degree in international relations yet. So that's kind of an interesting one. Uh, you're the first person uh, to to bring that one forward in over 150 episodes. So <laughs> interesting to hear. Uh, let's let's jump in. My, I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, but the first question, what is OSINT? O-S-I-N-T, just in case anyone doesn't quite catch the acronym, but what is OSINT? Yep. so the way you can think of OSINT is it is refined or processed information that has been obtained from publicly available sources, right? Now, what are publicly available sources? They are sources that are, uh, that are free, that are available for anyone to access, uh, that's what makes them publicly available. And when I say refined or processed information, uh, I mean that it's been that it's been uh, that has been processed or analyzed in such a way as to uh, provide some kind of meaning to that information and to and to that data for the people that you know that that the intelligence is serving. In this case, maybe it's you know risk management business continuity, emergency management professionals. Can you, can you give an example just so that uh, people can understand that? Your pro- yeah, process. sure. So, so it, it might be, uh, it is, let's say that the raw information might be something that is found on uh, something on social media or, uh, or traditional media news. Uh, and your intelligence analyst who specializes in doing OSINT, that person will be collecting information from all those different places, from from government data, from uh, news media, from social media, and, and, you know, refining it, making sure that the meaning comes out, and providing analysis to those decision makers who need to use all that complicated information that's, that's you know, all over the place that need to use that information to make 
you know, critical decisions for, for uh, emergency management in this case. So is that like, um, see, it's, see, it never takes me long to go off the agenda. So <laughs> <laughs> within minutes, I usually go right off. <laughs> um, is that trying to put it into today's context from what we see people saying on the news, but trying to distinguish um, real news from fake news, like all, offer or find some validity validity in what's being said. Yeah, so th- that's that's actually a great question, Alex, because that's a big big part of it these days. So, you know, my my impetus for writing this article initially was just you know thinking about there's so many professionals out there that know so much about you know the field. The, specialized fields of, you know, continuity and risk management and emergency management. But the missing piece is often information, right? They're not necessarily specialists in getting information, in digesting information, in verifying information, in thinking about what is, as you said, what's real and what's not. Or nowadays we have to deal with the issue of uh, misinformation or disinformation altogether. And, and right. that's really where intelligence professionals come in is that they are really the specialists in doing just that, you know, for the benefit of decision makers in different fields. So how do they, uh, like, do they have a certain tool or something? How can they distinguish, um, you know, fake news from real news? Because they would have the same challenges as anybody else if we all see the same headlines. What kind of things... Uh, do they look for or skill sets do they need or, you know, what, what kind of red flags do you automatic, do you see to know that this information is valid and well, that guy's off in left field, you know, <laughs> he's wrong. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, there's, that's, uh, there are a lot of different ways ranging from, you know, the qualitative to the, to the quantitative, to the really technological that, that that's done. So, I'll start with kind of the most basic answer, which is that, you know, in a way, when you think about who is a specialist in something, a lot of it is not a specific approach. It's just how much have you done something, right? You know, you repeat the action 10,000 times and you become much better at it. So, you know, in this case, um, the intelligence analysts, a lot of whom, you know, are very experienced, they might have decades of experience in the government doing specifically that, trying to sort between things that are, you know, uh, unreliable and reliable and giving, you know, rankings to how reliable different types of sources are. So, you know, on a very basic level is just how much have they seen and and they're good at it. Um, To get a little more specific, though, um, certainly, you know, there there are qualitative techniques um, you know, some of the folks in this field know that, for example, the the uh, the intelligence community, uh, the uh, U.S. Central Intelligence Agency releases a, there's a public document called um, you know structured analytic techniques, right? And it presents you know several several different types of methods that people can use to sort of think about you know how to process that information. How to how to analyze something correctly? How to forecast you know situation correctly? Um, so there there are you know methodologies that are qualitative that do that. 
Uh, and then also these days, a lot of uh, people use uh, technological tools. So, you know, there are now technologies that will go through uh, and do uh, kind of, you know, look through social media and see, okay, well, someone's saying that, you know, this event is happening somewhere. You know, is right. it, can we verify that? And maybe they collect enough, uh, enough stories about that one thing going on that all of a sudden uh, it, it, the picture becomes more clear and it becomes evident that it is, in fact, a real event. So there are, there are tools like that, that do that for, for analysts and for organizations now. So does OSINT um, look for, let's say I have an organization and I've had a, a disturbance, shall we say, or a crisis, a disaster, let, you know, whatever word we want to use. Do I use OSINT to find out what's being said about me? It would, is, is that how I would use it? Yeah, there, there's a number of different ways that it can be used. And, you know, part of it depends a lot on your kind of uh, organization, the, the kind of directions that it, you know, it wants to go. Some of the, you know, certainly there's also ethical questions, you know, how do you want to use that information? But, yeah, I mean, that's one way that you might want to look at it. Certainly there are organizations that use that kind of, they, they do reputational monitoring, right? So they have, yeah. uh, through a combination of analysts and tools, they look at how an organization's response to a crisis is being perceived, right? So that's certainly one, one thing that's done. Uh, another way that it's used is by companies simply wanting to monitor how a crisis is unfolding. And I mean, there's really no better time to talk about this than right now, because uh, most of my colleagues in, in the industry, um, you know, in the security industry, especially uh, uh, intelligence analysts, they're right now, you know, playing this role of trying to uh, capture all the information that's out there about, you know, COVID-19 and how it's developing and explain it to, to you know, individuals who need to know uh, what's happening, whether it's people in crisis management or people who are involved in uh, travel security for their organizations or, you know, some other departments for their um, respective institutions. So, yeah, I, I guess right now, because we're in, you know, we're recording the beginning of April um, with COVID, I, I guess we want to know, you know, what the right information is that's out there. But I, I guess it's also, you know, you can use use it to find out what the wrong information is and then actually um, have corrective actions in there. Can you use it in that kind of way? You know, knowing the business continuity programs, we have that component of corrective, you know, uh, actions. Can OSINT be used in that way as well to correct what we're doing rather than just monitoring to gather information? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, within, within when you kind of think, uh, look back to, to, you know, the intelligence community and, and you know, what it, what it means. Intelligence is, it, it's meant to be something that informs the decision maker. So that decision maker can use that information in a number of ways. They can, uh, you know, they can use it, and that's kind of what my article that you mentioned gets into. They can use it to prepare. They can use it to respond. They can use it to course correct. Uh, they can use it for kind of more long-term mitigation. Uh, 
Um, so certainly, certainly, there's you know multiple ways that it can be that it can then be leveraged. Well, we're going to touch on that in the next uh, segment, um, the emergency management cycle of how this gets in there. So I won't ask you any questions about th- those pieces right now. But I- I'm curious to know, I, it, OSINT, is it application-based or is it people-based or is it a combination of both? I- I'm, I'm not quite clear myself. Sure. You know, it's it, uh, OSINT is, is, it's really, it's, it, it is both, as you said. Um, okay. You know, some some people perceive it as a process, right? They look at it as mm-hmm. the process of refining and, and analyzing information from public sources, right? Others see it as the final product. What does that information look like? So, you know, and what that means in different companies, it can be very different. It can be, in some cases... A, a person, you know, conducts OSINT or finds OSINT and produces uh, a report that, okay. you know, in other cases, uh, in other cases, it becomes something that informs a high level briefing. Um, so it, it's, it's really more about, uh, it, it's more thinking in terms of, in terms of, you know, uh, yeah, kind of thinking about it as that as that process of of and, and refined information in general and refining it. So it can be it can be various things. Oh, okay, I get it. So does I, I was going to go on a break, but I have to ask this question while I remember it. Um, does that mean OSINT should be part of our crisis management team or a, a function of one of those teams in the crisis management team structure? Sounds like it should be. Yeah, absolutely. That's and that's you know that was really one of the main goals that I had in thinking about this issue. You know, one thing that I've seen is that increasingly, you know, if you look at the the Fortune 500 list of companies, I would say two thirds, three quarters uh, of those companies they have intelligence analysts doing this kind of work in their corporate security departments, right? But what's interesting to me is within other groups responsible for different areas of, of risk, it is not something that is widely known at all. In fact, in many companies, uh, uh, crisis management and risk management uh, teams, they don't even know that some of these analysts may exist to help them. So it's, it, that's exactly what I'm you know, hoping uh, to, to get the word out on. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, we're going to end the our first segment uh, right now. We're talking with Dan. Uh, see, I was going to say the name wrong again. Uh, Dan Davidov. And about his article in the latest DRJ magazine, Integrating OSINT into the Emergency Management Cycle. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Your pets play a major role in your life. After all, they're as much a member of the family as anybody else. Now there's a show that will show you how to keep them healthy and living their life to the fullest. Healthy Tales with Dr. Mondrian Contreras. We'll talk about veterinary health and help you understand the wellness and treatment plans that you need to know about your best friend. Listen every Wednesday to Healthy Tales at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Dan Davidoff uh, with his article in the latest spring DRJ magazine, Integrating OSINT into the Emergency Management Cycle. Dan, in our first segment, uh, you gave us lots of information uh, defining and clarifying what OSINT was. Now I'm wondering if you could take a minute or two and uh, explain uh, kind of what the emergency management cycle is. I, I know that may sound like a basic question, but we, you know, we do have listeners from all around the globe that work in different industries, so not everybody might know what those uh, uh, four phases are. Sure, sure. Thanks, Alex. Uh, so, you, you know, and it's funny because I, I myself am not directly in that industry, which is why, you know, I found so so interesting to kind of apply in, in intelligence to it. Uh, but, you know, when you think about the emergency management cycle, the way to look at it is it, it is basically a model, an illustration of how uh, an organization, institution, uh, community uh, it, you know, plans and prepares for emergencies, disasters, crises, whatever you want to call them, right? So it, it essentially goes through um, through four steps, right? So uh, the first the first phase of it uh, is is uh, you know often known as um, the mitigation phase, right? Or some people call it the prevention phase. So 
what happens there is uh, an organization is is you know trying to trying to take these sort of very uh, you know uh, long term measures to lessen the likelihood or or impact of an emergency uh, ultimately affecting them. You know whether it's uh, improving their uh, their infrastructure or or you know something like that or in a community maybe um, you know just thinking about long term development and how the community develops in light of any sort of uh, uh, you know uh, issues affecting it. So then comes the preparedness phase, which is in a way it's kind of similar, but essentially it's 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 a phase where you're closer, you're a little closer to the crisis. And you're making, you know, very practical steps to make plans and get ready. So you're you're developing your actual uh, uh, your actual crisis management plan, figuring out, you know, what kind of resources you have, um, any any of those sorts of uh, sorts of issues to prepare. Uh, then you've got your uh, response phase, and that's pretty self-explanatory. So you know, when a response is happening. Your main priority, uh, you know, it's, it's to save lives, it's to minimize any sort of damage to your property, to your assets, uh, to try to, you know, try to lower that overall damage. It's, you know, it's, it's go time, so to speak. And then finally, once your response has ended, an emergency moves into, into the recovery phase where, you know, maybe you're not dealing with, with uh, damage minimization anymore you're at the point where you want to return to something resembling, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, normal operations, whether it's, whether it's a community that, that, you know, resumes how it's, you know, always been or a company that, you know, returns to, returns to normal. And then, you know, then you're right at the end of that cycle, you jump back into that, uh, you know, mitigation phase where once again, you, you've recovered. You're at a normal place, and then you start. Uh, you start thinking long term. Okay, how do we lessen the likelihood and impact of new disasters? So you know, it's it's that's why it's a cycle. It's something that is ongoing. It really never ends, uh, and it's meant to uh, to minimize, prevent, manage uh, uh, any sort of uh, impact. And hopefully, we learn as we go through those cycles. You know. <laughs> But with regards to OSINT, now, how does OSINT um, fit in? Uh, from our first chat, it, it and, and I'm probably wrong here, uh, it seemed as though it would fit into kind of response. But in your article, you suggest that OSINT could actually be a part of all parts of this cycle. So how would OSINT fit into mitigation, preparedness, uh, response? I, I think we might know, but just in case. You know, and and recovery. Where how would OSINT fit in there? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you're right, and I think a lot of a lot of folks have this perception uh, that that you know that inform that this kind of intelligence and information is something that is that is uniquely uh, in that response phase, and you need it right there and then. But there are a lot of places. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, space for for that information to be analyzed and found in the other phases as well. So if you if you look at that that first phase of uh, mitigation or prevention, right? So you know if you if you 
areas where where you know you could think about using OSINT there. So uh, one area would be uh, would be thinking about thinking about prevention approaches, right? So uh, let's say you are you are a person who specializes in um, uh, specializes in you know some sort of crisis management, you know, and you may know everything about crisis management, but do you know everything about every type of crisis, right? You may not. You may not know what the best mitigation approaches uh, long-term for certain types of crises are, right? But this is mm. where this is where really, you know, uh, diligent analysis can come in and, and these intelligence analysts, they can, they can do the research and find kind of the, the data-driven uh, research that helps you decide, okay, this is the kind of best practice preventive measures uh, that are, you know, required for this kind of disaster and this kind of disaster, you know, because that's what they do. They're specialists in seeking out information and they're specialists in analyzing it. Um, the other thing that can be done is, um, um, is, is kind of using a similar approach to, to uh, do kind of uh, uh, look at different incidents, uh, uh, you know, in, in the security world, for example, um, uh, analysts might look at incidents of crime. They might do crime mapping in certain areas and think about, okay, well, in the long term, you know, this area uh, is, is the, you know, seemingly maybe more unsafe than this area. So we need to focus certain resources there. So, you know, using that, um, finding those data sets, doing some potentially quantitative analysis can also help inform uh, what kind of measures are chosen and, and how decision makers act to to do that kind of prevention? So that could uh, then, you yeah. would use you would use OSINT to um, just so that I understand it. Find information. Here's how uh, good information for let's say COVID nineteen response, a pandemic response, and using. Uh, information you know to find good practices related to let's say hurricane response is that yeah, kind of absolutely thing? yeah okay. yeah absolutely and you know in different cases uh you know of course at this point you know we all know some of the maybe some of the uh kind of central uh ideas behind you know what a, what a good uh good long-term preparedness measures are, but in some cases, these are really specialized areas and no one knows. And the people who are really experts at seeking out that information and making sure it's reliable are the ones that help an organization get ahead. And, you know, that takes us actually very well into, you know, how they can help in the preparedness phase, uh, Uh uh, which is that uh, in a lot of cases, you know, when, when companies start thinking about, Okay, let's create a plan, right? Let's let's make a crisis plan for for this specific kind of event. Um, you know, once again, uh, there are areas where you know a person may know in general this is what a plan looks like, but do they have do they can, do they have enough benchmarking that they can do with how other organizations have done it? You know, and in some cases, they may not know where to look. Yeah, they may have a, a contact in some other industry who will send them something. Maybe there's a trade association that can help to some degree. Uh, but people who are OSINT professionals, 
they can actually go out there and find all those publicly available plans. Uh, you know, in a way, some of what intelligence analysts do can be compared to uh, when you go to a really imposing library and you just can't find something and you've got your reference librarian who knows exactly how to speak it out. Um, so, you know, that's something that they do there. They're also able, you know, when organizations uh, develop crisis plans, it's not just a matter of procedures, right? They look also at, um, uh, they look potentially at response partners. They look at external resources available. Uh, and that's an area where uh, intelligence analysts can do a lot of kind of outside um, validation and they can do a little bit of due diligence perhaps. Uh, you know, for example, let's say that you uh, are a company operating uh, in, a, in a market, you know, in, uh, uh, let's say, in Africa somewhere, and perhaps uh, in, as part of your plan, you have, a, uh, you, you have a partnership with a local, with a local ambulance company. Okay, uh, the person sitting at at uh, headquarters in the U.S. or the uh, or, or Canada may not know. You know, they may not know anything about this ambulance company. And sure, they may have someone that you know recommended it to them. But what do they really know? And is it enough to rely on one person? Well, you can use OSINT to really, really to to do that due diligence on that company to see. Okay, you know what are what are all their local ratings in their market? You know, how are they, um, uh, are there any regulatory or legal actions that have been taken uh, against them? So ultimately, ultimately that using those techniques can help you not just, you know, plan those procedures better, but also evaluate any sort of partnerships or any sort of resources that, that you may need. Does that make sense? Yes. You got me thinking of two words, supply chain. Yep, yep. You know, yeah, OSINT can actually help you with the supply chain management aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, in fact, and there's, uh, there are some organizations. Uh, one organization uh, in this field right now is uh, the Association of International uh, Risk Intelligence uh, Professionals, ARIP, and they do have one of their councils is the Supply Chain Intelligence Council, uh, and it exists exactly for this reason that this this is something that that is so important. So you know, then you move on to that response step, and as you said, this is the one that is kind of often most commonly associated and most easy to to imagine. You know, where you might need the help of people who can process information, right? So. During response, uh, people who, who do OSINT, who are doing intelligence, uh, they can provide, you know, early warning. If, if they are utilizing some of those tools that I mentioned, uh, for example, the, the tools um, that help uh, analysts find social media information as quickly as possible, right, they may know within a minute that some disaster somewhere is happening. Uh, you know, sometimes some of those tools beat local media. They beat national media uh, by, you know, by by many minutes, by half an hour, by something like that. So, uh, 
So that's something that's something that they can do is provide that early warning to, to make you know response time really quick. And then as this situation goes on, they can just provide continuous updates. Uh, you know, help explain you know what is happening minute to minute, and most most importantly, not just not just not just say what is happening minute to minute, but how it applies to you and the actions you need to take. And this is one of the things that I, you know, we really try to explain for non-intelligence people. Um, sometimes people think, well, I can just do that. I can just read the news, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, are really good at, are really good at digesting news. Uh, you know, maybe they read a lot of news, but people who are specializing in this field, they take that news and they translate it into exactly what it means for your operations, your supply chain, as you said, um, any sort of decisions that have to be made on HR or risk management or cybersecurity or business continuity. So that's that's an important element of what they what what people help do, uh, uh, what OSINT professionals help help um, uh, do. Uh, and, and then finally, you know, so, so the, that situation kind of draws down. You're now you're now in that recovery mode, um, and and so, you know, they uh, OSINT can still be used there for various things. You know, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, one area is of course kind of looking at that reputational aspect. So, you know, looking at what what were the perceptions of the different stakeholders and how recovery went? You know, whether it's, uh, 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 you know, investors, whether it's uh, customers, whether it's anyone else who's a, a stakeholder of a company or an organization, you know, tracking any sort of um, indirect risk levels after the emergency ends. Uh, you know, obviously the situation we're in, you know, as of, as of this interview, uh, mm-hmm. On one hand, we have you know a public health situation, but as is becoming clear, there are so many different uh, so many different indirect effects that may occur, right? On uh, economics, on on uh, uh, unemployment, supply chain, on on you know functioning uh, technology, regulatory. Really, it's it's all over the place. Uh, uh, some areas that that there may be effects. So. Uh, you know, looking at looking at all those different areas, and once again bringing them into, you know, how is it relevant to you as a, a crisis management decision maker? That's another thing that um, uh, OSINT professionals can help uh, accomplish. And you have impeccable timing, Dan, because we just came to the end of the second segment. So I do have a couple of questions for you. And we're talking with Dan Davidoff and his article in the latest DRJ magazine, Integrating OSINT into the Emergency Management Cycle. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Your pets play a major role in your life. After all, they're as much a member of the family as anybody else. Now there's a show that will show you how to keep them healthy and living their life to the fullest. Healthy Tales with Dr. Mondrian Contreras. We'll talk about veterinary health and help you understand the wellness and treatment plans that you need to know about your best friend. Listen every Wednesday to Healthy Tales at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Dan Davidov and his article in the latest DRJ magazine, Integrating OSINT into the Emergency Management Cycle. Dan, you had a really uh, information-packed second segment there, and I've got a couple of questions for you. With regards to the the phases that you talked about in emergency management, mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery, which one, if any, um, is more important um, than the others when it comes to OSINT, or do they all have their own sets of challenges um, and, and they work together? Yeah, so, you know, I, I would say, of, of course, it's, it's hard to say, you know, that, that anyone is more important than another. I would mm-hmm. say, <clears throat> certainly, as you suggested earlier, when you think about the response phase, that, that one is kind of the low-hanging fruit, right? So, if an organization, okay. you know, doesn't have a, a sort of um, any kind of function, whether it's a person or or uh, you know, a platform or some combination that is helping to do that kind of processing of, of that flow of information during an emergency, that's really the low-hanging fruit that they can aim for uh, because in some ways it's, it's the most straightforward uh, and, and the, the one that, is, uh, that 
there are so many technological tools to already help do that. Um, having said that, uh, I think that the use of OSINT, the use of OSINT uh, professionals that, that do that intelligence, um, it, it can certainly be utilized, and it's important to think about at all the other phases. So, if, so if I was an organization, it, and I couldn't have people do this all the time, OSINT is really something that I would kind of look at during my recovery out of those four phases. That's the the point that I really, really should, you know, consider utilizing it, right? Uh, I would say more more uh, response during the response phase uh, when kind sorry, of response. when that Did I say recovery? Work? Oops, yeah. sorry. I think you said recovery. <laughs> Oops, sorry. Uh, when the uh, when when that early warning is critical, and when the flow of information becomes unmanageable, and when frankly, when crisis management professionals have a lot more to be doing than being the people who are who are trying to process all of that information that's out there. So my other question, uh, because you wrote uh, wrote this in your article, and I thought it was an interesting comment. Um, you said it's no longer uh, sufficient, really, to follow a hashtag. Now, most of us all know that through the different social media apps, you know, hashtags, that's how we follow people or follow situations. So can you clarify, what did you mean by it's no longer um, sufficient just to follow a hashtag? Sure. So I think, you know, certainly if you are, if you are looking at Twitter, right. And, and you're following, you're, you're looking just at that platform and you want to get a basic idea of what's happening. Sure. You know, the hashtag is still something, it's still something that can and should be used. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I do want to say that, that the landscape of, of, Internet sources is just changing so rapidly. Uh, you know, if 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 you go back to you know the uh, the Arab Spring, for example, you know everyone at that time. This was you know a social media revolution. At that time, so many more people had public public accounts. You know, everyone was tweeting. Things were it, it was very visible. These days, uh, first of all. You know, social media is becoming much more fragmented. So there are so many different platforms. It's not just Twitter, you know, Facebook. It, uh, it, there's there's uh, a lot of countries have their own social media that works in different ways uh, mm-hmm. with, you know, hashtags or equivalents that work different ways. Uh, there are accounts now. There's a lot more accounts that are private that you wouldn't be able to see what exactly, you know, they're tweeting uh, with their hashtags about. Uh, uh, so, you know, you just, you're constantly need to develop uh, new techniques. Uh, you constantly need to look for, um, <clears throat> for new monitoring platforms that are, that are looking on how to leverage all that data out there. And, and, you know, figuring out how to do that can actually, and is in a lot of ways a, a, a full-time job for a lot of people, just looking at how that all of that, um, all of that is evolving. Well, that kind of brings me to my next question. <laughs> if I, uh, I have my own organization, 
and I'm interested in using OSINT in um, you know to help with all the examples you gave, and uh, you 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 gave quite a few. How do I go about um, getting OSINT into my organizational culture? Not just my crisis management team, but you know the development of plans or supply chain management, you know, and some of the other examples um, you gave. How do you go about doing that? And you just said, you know, it could be a full time uh, position, you know, depending on, you know, I, I guess the size of the organization would determine if it's full time or not. But, um, you know, how do sure, I go sure. about getting that position within my organization? Yeah. So there, there's, uh, I would say there's a, a few different ways to sort of think about leveraging, leveraging open source information, OSINT, um, that are, that range from kind of uh, you know small footprint to to uh, to large footprint or price tag. So at, at one level, right, you can take a person who uh, who perhaps is is already in your organization, already doing something, and they want to become simply better at this function, right? They, they, mm-hmm. You know that you need better information, you need it quicker, you need it more comprehensive, you need to verify what's true or not. Uh, and that person, you already have someone in mind, you, you don't want to hire someone. So in that case, there's a few things you can do. Uh, one is uh, you can put that person through through uh, OSINT training. There are many organizations that uh, that offer it for very different purposes. Uh, you know, some that are more oriented towards, uh, you know, kind of investigations and due diligence, some that, that are uh, uh, that that helps uh, individuals, you know, monitor monitor the news. So one thing you can do is put that person uh, through training. The other thing you can do is certainly there are plenty of uh, consulting companies out there that can assist with specific situations, right? So if uh, you know if you know that uh, a certain emergency is coming up. And uh, you just don't have the capacity to be doing that reputational monitoring. You don't know how to do it. There's no time to train someone. Well, there are many organizations out there that can take that off your hands. That can send you, you know, daily updates or you know, uh, updates every hour on what's happening with an eye towards what is important to you. And then, and then uh, the the kind of. Uh, most costly, but in a way, the most efficient option would be to have a dedicated role on your team uh, that is devoted to to intelligence. Um, now, as I mentioned earlier in the talk, uh, a lot of organizations, they actually don't know what they have. Uh, and, and I know that many of my colleagues who are doing intelligence in the corporate security space, they're often trying to make connections uh, and you know, sit down with professionals who are responsible for other risk fun- functions just to explain, you know, here's how I can help you. So some of it may actually be leveraging the resources that other teams have. You know, getting on the distribution list for for the analysts that are in corporate security. Uh, but if uh, if that you know they don't exist. Uh, you can hire your own, or once again, you know there are consulting firms that can actually, you know, uh, find you a resource and manage that person for you, whether it's at, at your site or at their site. 
You, you made an interesting comment about getting uh, daily uh, statuses or reports. Does that mean OSINT, with OSINT, you can set up some sort of a um, search criteria so that it gives you information on specific subjects at the end of the day? That Can you, can you do that with OSINT? Yeah, absolutely. And once again, you can divide that into... You can divide that into, you know, who who and, and what is doing. So, you know, if you're working with an analyst, you give them your parameters, right? You tell them, look, you know, in regards to the current crisis, I don't care about this or that or this third thing. But for us, I need all the news from these five markets in relation to this very specific issue that, that this crisis is impacting, right? And that analyst you know, that's that's their job to get you that information, you know, nice and packaged. That's what they'll do. They'll do that very thing. Uh, <clears throat> so that's, that's the more kind of qualitative answer. But then, you know, if you have some sort of uh, platform that is helping you, that is assisting you in this area, uh, certainly they also can set, set up a system that helps, that, that is, uh, dedicated to answering uh, only the, the queries and interests that you have. So, for example, uh, they might alert you uh, only to security crises that are happening and only or, or only uh, situations that are happening within a certain, uh, a certain distance from your facilities, right? Uh, or, yeah. or some other kind of very specific disaster. So it can get very specific. That, that's what I was thinking of, because um, sometimes we pay so much attention to what's going on in other places of the world that we forget what's in our backyard. And I was wondering, you know, if, if this is able to uh, develop criteria so that we could know that, you know, our uh, competitor, let's say, is having an issue which hasn't hit the news yet or, and may not hit the news, but something we could kind of leverage as a lesson learned for us, you know, so that we don't yeah, recreate, yeah. recreate their problem. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, certainly, you know, when it comes to competitors, you know, this, the, the key to, to uh, good, let's say good open source intelligence is that it's legal, right? So when it comes to public and available sources, it's what's out there. Uh, certainly, and this is one of the challenges, there's going to be developments that are happening, with, whether it's within countries, within competitors, uh, that nobody is aware of or that is, you know, information that is sensitive or confidential, you know, and it, right. it should not be the goal of, of individuals in these areas to, you know, be breaking any laws or, you know, but, but certainly anything that is public, it can help, it can help in that area. Well, we only have a couple of minutes left. Um, do you have any closing thoughts uh, on uh, OSINT and uh, integrating that into the emergency management cycle? Yeah, you know, I'd just like to say that, you know, I think, I think, when people hear that word intelligence, they they really think of it as a discipline that is so associated with with national security and and uh, the 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 uh, practice of, of spycraft that it's yeah. really difficult for them to understand what it really is, which which is 
which is the, the practice of, of finding, refining, and, and translating information, right? And OSIN specifically, because it's open source information, and it's not something, you know, it's not something that you have to go and, you know, perform secret missions. It, it's, it's something that is out there, and it requires specialists, but it's something that any organization can leverage in order to improve, uh, you know, their, their position in this risk management world. So, you know, that's why I really encourage uh, people and, and organizations to think about OSINT when it comes to, you know, uh, helping them uh, improve their performance with any kind of critical mission. Well, I, I, I thought it interesting that you mentioned spy, spies because usually when uh, I think of the intelligence and intelligence community, I'm thinking FBI, you know, CSIS here in Canada, <laughs> you know, in Hollywood, right? And it's, it's obviously not what Hollywood says. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, just one one thing to add is, if you look at uh, many of the senior leaders of the intelligence community, uh, at least within the U.S., have said in the past that something like eighty to ninety-five percent of the most critical intelligence out there is OSINT, which is really interesting when you think about it. How much of the intelligence community? Uh, is reliant on information that any of us can have. You know, it's not not mm-hmm. something a lot of people realize. A lot of people think, you know, it's all about, you know, secret telegrams and dead drops and so on. Right. But on that note, we've come to the end of our show. Dan, thank you very much to uh, talking us uh, talking to us about OSINT. I really appreciate your time and expertise. Yeah, thank you, Alex. It was great to be on. And to everyone out there, a reminder, uh, CRT Conference in Toronto and BCI World in Birmingham later this year. I'll be there. Thanks to everyone at Stone Road and BolstAssessment.com. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.